Thanks so much, Adam. That is so awesome. And this is what God does. God changes lives. Because of his great love for us, he changes lives. And we get to commune with him in prayer. And prayer changes us. That relationship with Jesus changes us. And, um, and I'm so grateful. So grateful. 14 years ago, I was a student. I was an undergraduate student at the University of Virginia. And that is when I first met our special guest speaker tonight. She had just graduated from James Madison University. Go Dukes. We can say it multiple times tonight. Uh, and she was a teacher in the public school system um, around Charlottesville, Virginia. And she also worked with Chi Alpha at UVA. She began discipling me. I'm not even going to look at her because I'm just going to start crying. Um, she began discipling me and... Um, God changed my life through her intentional, loving discipleship. She is one of the most loving, caring, intentional, insightful, wise, and generous people that I've ever met. She makes Jesus look so, so, so good. And she has made such an impact here at JMU during her time. She actually led a Chi Alpha that was happening way a long time ago as a student. Like, she led this as a student. Um, then she had such a great impact at UVA, and her impact at Virginia Tech is bigger than anyone ever realizes, I think. And so we know the ripple effects of her faithfulness to God and her faithfulness to love and disciple people well. Um, the ripple effects are innumerous. And so I can't wait to um, introduce her. Please welcome Michelle Saladino. Well, guys, a lot has changed since I have been here. I've been here in the last 20 years, but I haven't been a student, obviously, for 20 years, and a lot has changed. First of all, let me say this. We'll just start with football. I don't even wanna, I don't even wanna say, it's not even fair. Not even fair. Um, when I was a student, this football team lost every game, game after game after game, and let me tell you, nobody came to their games. Um, my, I had a roommate that was a cheerleader for the football team, and uh, she would beg for us to come out and, you know, just to watch her cheer. We wouldn't go out for the football games. we just go out just to watch her cheer. So a lot has changed, um, especially with football. So it's an amazing time to be a JMU student. Amen? Amen. All right. Also, when I was a student, we had something called a jack card. Does that still exist? What do they look like now? Okay, the design, look at that. Okay, that is a lot better. When I was a student, they were yellow and purple and like dotted, and uh, your photo looked like a mugshot. Um, so it's looking, looking a lot better, looking a lot better. Um, let me think, what else has changed? When, I, when we drove in that big circular building, what is that going on by the football stadium? Is that a dining hall, a new dining hall? Okay. Okay, cool. College of Business is getting some awesome buildings. That's awesome. Okay, the, the other thing I will say this is that JMU was known for having really good food. I'll, I'll give it for sure that. Is the food still really top-notch here? Okay. The food was awesome. Awesome. Well, it's so good to be with you guys tonight. Um, hopefully, when I said 20 years ago, that doesn't date me too much, but I want to share real quickly, I want to tell you guys a little bit just about Josh and Katie and how much they mean to me and, and to my husband, Anthony, as well. When we, uh, went, when we were at UVA, my husband worked there full-time uh, for five years at the Chi Alpha chapter there. When they were just getting going, he was on staff with a guy named Pete and his wife, Amy, and Josh was a student, I, I think, in probably our second year there whatnot and Katie as well and I have a vivid um, memory of Josh when he was a student so when he was your age when he was 18 
It's a good one, Josh. Don't worry. No, no, no. It's a good one. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm sharing good stuff tonight. We got a lot of memories on Josh, but and but this is a, a really awesome one. So when Josh was a student, I remember standing in the back, um, probably with Anthony and watching Josh worship. And when I say worship, I mean singing the songs from the front and really you know, expressing his love for Christ with his body, like raising his hands and just really um, going all out for Jesus in these worship services. And I have a a special, um, another memory of Josh. So I remember he stuck out to me as an 18-year-old, like, man, there's something different about this guy. He's got a lot of passion. So we all agree about that. He's got so much passion. There's something so amazing about him. And then fast forward a summer later, Um, I was able to be at a service where Josh, they gave an altar call, and they said, if you feel like you're called to do ministry, to reach college students, you're called to be in Chi Alpha for more the long haul. We want you to come down to the front. And I remember seeing Josh go down to the front. And so these are just really precious, precious memories for me. Josh has always stuck stuck out to Anthony and I both as a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. He truly is a disciple of Christ. And he's been someone since we've known him um, that has gone 110% for Jesus. And since we've known him, when he was your age, when he was 18, 19, he, he really, maybe 20, surrendered his life to, to doing this right now. And I'm so thankful that he did. I'm so thankful that he did because he is an answer to my prayers um, my prayers here that God would send laborers to James Madison University, and we're all here um, this morning because of that. And Katie, Katie, I, I love so many, so many ladies at UVA, but Katie again was another one that just stood out to me. Just like Josh, um, there's special moments I have with Katie. I would have a Bible study, and um, I had the opportunity to disciple girls while I was working full time. I have a, I'd have a, a Bible study and something call something on Friday, some other kind of meeting that UVA used to have. I, I forget what it's called, a leader life group or a, something like that. And we, we'd get going, and I'd be, like, so pumped. I'd be prepared for this. And only, like, two people would show up. Three, and there's Katie every time. Katie would come. And then I'd go, and I'd say, okay, girls, we're going to have a Bible study. And I, I started this Bible study at Panera. We went through this Bethmore study, and everybody seemed really excited about it. And but, the, but push come to shove, who was there every week? It was Katie. Katie was faithful. She was dependable. And also, Katie is one of the most generous people I've ever met. She would um, just lavish love on me in so many different ways. And so Katie has had my heart since she was an 18-year-old and forever will. I love her so much. I'm so proud of the woman of God she's become. She's a wise woman. Do we agree here, ladies? You guys are just getting to know Katie. Katie, if you, you spend time with her, she's going to give you an awesome word of wisdom. I just want you to encourage you guys to receive her counsel. She's a wise counselor. Um, she's a strong leader, and she's uh, just tenacious. And, and that word really comes to me about her. She's a fighter. She's going to fight for you and fight with you for your, for your call to follow Jesus Christ with all your heart. So I just want to say thanks to Josh and Katie for giving me the opportunity to come here tonight and uh, it's amazing because 20 years ago, I was an 18-year-old here in this place, and I'm totally different now, 20 years later. When I came, when I showed up to the scene at JMU 20 years ago, I was full of unforgiveness. Um, God had began to do a really, a really great work in my life when I was 15, but there was some things in my life I still really hadn't dealt with. I grew up in a nominally Christian home was raised in a private Christian school, but both my parents really struggled in their faith, so much so that when they were, when I was around 13, they both really kind of just, I, the best way to say it, kind of forsook their relationship with Jesus. And my dad ended up getting involved into a really heavy drug addiction. And my mom ended up getting in, involved. My mom and my dad eventually got separated and then eventually began the process of divorce. This started when I was 13, and the process of divorce kind of ended when I was 15. And in that same time, my mom picked up a relationship with another person who was quite abusive. So from 13 on, 
in the most pivotal years of my life and my walk um, as a preteen, both of my parents kind of, you know, their marriage collapsed, their lives were collapsing, and they just weren't around. And so from 13 on, it was just an opportune time for Satan to just kind of get into my life and try to tempt me and, and drag me away and kind of destroy the plans that God had for me. But when I was 15, God began to work in my life, and he, he began to show up in big ways. And he began to kind of work on my heart a little bit about some of the unforgiveness I had with my father. So I don't know if there's anybody in here who comes from a broken family, but I can relate big time, coming from such, such brokenness in my family. And God began to work on me. And then when I hit the ground here at JMU, the first thing Jesus wanted to deal with me on was my relationship um, with my parents. The first thing he wanted to speak to me about in that McGraw-Long dorm. Anybody know what that, is that dorm still here? McGraw-Long, amen. First thing he wanted to speak to me about, I'll never forget. My roommate left one night. I'm sitting there and I'm just reading my Bible, praying, listening, worship. And, and I just heard the voice of God just speak in my heart, quiet, still small, quiet verse. Michelle, I want to deal with this unforgiveness towards your father. I want, I want you uh, to begin kind of working with this with me and let me into your heart on this. And I began to just start that journey right at JMU, 18 years old, not in my own strength, but because of Jesus Christ, he was able to help me uh, begin to forgive my father for leaving us and to begin to forgive my mother also for essentially kind of leaving us when I was young. And so God began to work on my heart in a really deep and profound way right in McGraw-Long, 18 years old. So much so that once, once I was able just to, by the grace of God, kind of like Adam was saying, by the grace of God, just allow the, the weights of sin and the shame that I felt um, from my, really some of the bad habits I had picked up in those years of just kind of being uh, a kid, uh, kind of an abandoned kid. Um, God was able to just help break that shame and break that unforgiveness in my life. And it became contagious on my hallway. So in my dorm in McGraw-Long, we had so many girls on that, on that one hall, and so many of them ended up coming to know Christ, and we started a Bible study, and it was just crazy because God was just moving. And I thought that that was all God had for me, but then I went to an event, and while at this event, it was an event from another campus ministry because Chi Alpha was not uh, around at that point, it was an event from another campus ministry, and I met these three girls who, who just seemed, like, so awesome. So, like, we want to run after God. We're so excited to get it. And I started talking with them, like, man, something is really sticking out to me about these girls. And sure enough, um, I started to get to know them more, and they said, hey, Michelle, we know somebody from a local church who wants to start uh, a student-led Chi Alpha chapter. And I'm like, what is that? They're like, we don't know, but let's go for it. And I'm like, okay. So I started talking with these girls, and they, they got this guy from a church to come every week and preach. And here we go. It's three girls, one guy, and me. And the end of my freshman year, uh, beginning to roll with Jesus in the student-run uh, Chi Alpha chapter. And I just want to tell you guys, you guys are such an answer prayer such an answer to prayer. It's such a vision to see you. I could have only imagined this moment because when I was a student, it was, you know, maybe our student-led group got up to 20 students, 30 students, but I would be on my hands and knees praying and, and pleading with God, God, bring staff members. God, bring the funds. God, um, just let this, let this chapter grow. Let this chapter be something that, that you want to just uh, explode and, and you want others to experience. And, and God did. Here we are 20 years later, but he did. And it's so awesome. So it's such an honor again and a privilege to be here tonight and to see you guys and to see what God has done in 20 years and to see how the whole full circle, how God ended up using Josh and Katie, who are really our dearest friends. And we've been through so much together and um, our disciples and want to answer a prayer that I used to pray when I was 18, 19, 20, that God would send laborers here to JMU. And it's just, there's really no words for that. So I'm so grateful to God to be here tonight. 
and so excited about what God is doing in you guys. Something about this, cha- this chapter when it was student, when it was going as a student, there were students like Adam in here who wanted to have a, who had a heart for prayer and really believed that God was going to use this chapter to pray and to see amazing things on this campus, especially salvation. So we, we had a lot of prayer meetings and we would pray and pray and pray um, that God would, God would, we would see a lot of salvations and that we would see people transformed. And, and so that's always just from the get-go has been a part of what God put on our hearts as some of the first students um, get in this chapter going just in the student runway. Um, was that this is going to be a big chapter of pr- that really prays and really presses into God and sees salvations and sees a lot of transformation. So it's powerful to hear Adam's story about how God is speaking to him about prayer because that's exactly what God is going to do in you guys' life. He's going to help break off shame, break off a workspace mentality, right? He's going to teach you what the gospel truly is and break off some of those gospel gaps. We call them where, we, where we're working um, not with grace and not by faith, but uh, through our own, uh, through our own uh, works, basically, um, to try to gain salvation to, or to gain approval from God when we've already been approved. And so it's really neat to see that it's going to be through prayer and through you guys pressing in and through your just faithfulness to continue to attend and to be a part of this chapter that God's going to continue to reach this whole campus from this Chi Alpha chapter. I'm really excited that you guys are a part of it. Let me pray. Let me pray. God, I just thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to share. And Lord, as we get into our passage tonight about you being the good shepherd, Lord, would you open up our hearts and minds? Lord God, would you awaken us to this picture of how good you are? And Lord, would your goodness cause us, Lord God, to want to lay down that which you're calling us to lay down and to pick up that which you're calling us to pick up? Lord, would you just bless the rest of this night? In your name we pray. Amen. I love the Gospel of John. I loved hearing that you guys are in the Gospel of John. This Gospel, guys, you can't get sick of, okay? This Gospel, you're going to keep learning more and more and more about. The more you go into it, the more you the more you uncover. It's got a lot of depth to it, a lot of richness. And last week, Katie was in John chapter 11. You guys talked about Lazarus, and you talked about um, coming from death to life and then being people who help others uh, get those grave clothes off, right? And, and being people who are calling people out of the grave and helping them unravel um, from the things of their past life and the flesh. And so it's so awesome uh, tonight to just kind of continue on in that series. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to bounce back a little bit. So we're going to go back to John chapter 10 and look at how Jesus is so good, is such a good, chef, good shepherd. But in order to do that, we have to kind of Go back again to John chapter 9. We're not going to turn there, but I just want to summarize a little bit of real quickly what happened in John chapter 9 and where that brings us to in John, in John chapter 10 tonight, okay? So in John chapter 9, the man born blind is healed. Has anybody ever heard that story before? A little bit? Okay, so a man who's born blind is healed, and it causes a huge stir among these religious leaders called the Pharisees and the Sadducees the scribes. These were the religious people of Jesus's time, of Jesus's, of Jesus's day, the Jewish teachers, right? They were kind of the up there in the religious um, society, so to speak. And so when this man born blind was healed, they were like, what? What is going on? And they had big questions about what that meant for the guy who healed him, which was Jesus. And so there was a huge debate on, well, you know, who is this guy that healed this guy? Is he, is he from Satan? Um, how could he be from Satan and do such an, am- an amazing sign? Um, is he from God? And there was debate going back and forth. And really, the man born blind, um, before he even gets to talk to Jesus anymore about what Jesus has just done for him, the man born blind believes in Christ and almost becomes one of his disciples. And the man born blind sticks up for him and says, I don't know what you guys think about him. All I know is that now I can see. Now I can see, and there's no way that a guy from Satan could do what he did. And so they ended up getting so angry at the man born blind, they kick him out, okay? They kick him out of the temple. They kick him out of where they found him and where they're questioning him. And later on in the story, we have Jesus coming up to him, 
privately and talking with him and almost talking with him a little bit. Who do you think I am? You know, who do you believe I am? And um, he talks with Jesus and Jesus tells him he's the son of man. Also in this crowd, while he's talking to him, uh, it seems, it appears that some more Jewish leaders come up and Jesus begins to talk to them a little bit more and tells them that they are actually blind. So that's where John chapter 10 picks up. We're not really quite sure if it's continuing exactly with this conversation, but John chapter 10 picks right up in this context of Jesus having a big talk with the Jewish leaders, okay, about um, spiritual blindness and about him being the son of God. And so I'm going to just read you guys what I wrote here. I said, here in John 10, Jesus is going to make that link again, that he is in fact the son of man, first prophesied about in the book of Daniel, and then again prophesied about coming in the line of David and in later books. This time, he will use a striking and a familiar picture of the good and true shepherd, a metaphor or picture that they would have been familiar with from Ezekiel 34. It says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend to them. He will tend, tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God and my, and my servant. David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. His hearers possibly the religious leaders and Jewish listeners, would have immediately thought of Ezekiel 34 when Jesus brings up this illustration that's going to begin here in John chapter 10 about the sheep and the shepherd, and known that he was claiming indeed that he was the shepherd prophesied about in Ezekiel, which makes him the son of God, which makes him divine. So Jesus is going to hit this metaphor in verses 1 through 18 in a couple different ways, but tonight we're just going to focus on verses 7 through 14 just for time, and we're going to see, again, just totally marinate on how good Jesus is through this and what makes him such a good shepherd. So let's go ahead and uh, read it. We have it up there on the slides for you guys if you want to follow along, or if you have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 10. It's going to be verses 7 through 14. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So let's reread verse 7 through 9 again one more time. We're just going to look at my first point here. It says, Therefore Jesus said again, and this is from an NIV, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. So my first kind of point or takeaway, just from these verses right here in verses 7 through 9 about Jesus is that Jesus is good. He's so good because he is the gate. And his priority is the security and the salvation of the sheep. So when Jesus addresses the religious leaders and he uses this metaphor, again, it would have been so familiar to them because in this culture, there were a lot of shepherds and there were sheep pens around the area. And in an Eastern sheepfold, the sheep pens would look like almost like a U and they'd have one opening, but instead of there being a gate, the shepherd himself would become the gate. So at night, what this looked like is the shepherd would lie down, um, like, you know, from feet to head, covering the gate. And so what that did is so the sheep couldn't actually get out of the fold, and he could help keep them in and keep them safe, but also he would lie down like that um, so predators couldn't come in the fold. So when Jesus, what Jesus is really saying here, when he says, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved, is he's saying, hey guys, I am the sole source of your security and salvation. I'm the sole source of your security and your salvation. 
I am the son of man that Daniel talked about in the book of Daniel that was prophesied. I am the long-awaited Messiah, Jewish leaders that you're not picking up, that you're not seeing. I am the one that was prophesied about from the line of David. I am the I am. Jesus is saying, guys, I am the son of God. I am the gate and I'm the only way to the father. I'm the only way to this this pasture that was prophesied about in Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 talks about that one day uh, a shepherd is coming. A shepherd will be like the shepherd um, from the line of David and that he's going to lead his people into a sweet, amazing pasture, right? So Jesus is referencing himself. Hey guys, that's me. I'm here. I'm here. I'm the gate, right? He's saying, guys, that's me. I'm here. I am the gate. I'm the source of your salvation and hope. And in the gospel of Luke, there's another picture of Jesus being a good shepherd. And in this picture, in the gospel of Luke, Jesus goes out and finds the one sheep that's lost, right? He's so good. He leaves the 99 and he runs and he finds this lost sheep that's in a bramble, right? So Jesus is so good. He lifts this sheep up and he brings it back. Jesus is this this shepherd that um, goes out of his way to find the one. That's the picture we're getting here tonight is that he's so good and he is the way into that sheep pen, that pasture land. That's sweet. And when we look, when we think about that, on the flip side, what is the role the sheep play in this whole security and salvation issue, right? We have, let's ask ourselves, what is the role that the sheep are playing here in their safety in this eastern sheepfold where Jesus is the gate? What is the role that they're playing in their security? Well, their role is to listen to their shepherd, right? Is to obey and to keep eating, right? Keep grazing um, and keep picking things up and maybe keep letting things out, right? Their role is just to be sheep and to be nourished by the fold that the shepherd is keeping them safely in. And what a relief that is that the sheep do not have to, um, you know, worry about, hey, am I going to be fast enough for this wolf when this wolf comes to come, come after me? Or, oh my gosh, there's something climbing in on this side. What am I going to do, right? You get this picture of the sheep in this fold just being, you know, grazing, having this time where they're just, they're focused on eating. They're focused on being um, being what they're called to be, which is sheep. And you get this picture again of the shepherd who's the gate, who's very focused on the safety, the security of these sheep, tending to them, taking care of them. And that's who Jesus is. That's who he is. Um, and I wonder... I wonder here tonight if there's anybody who has not come to, tr- to trust Jesus as their gate, as their sole source of salvation and security. Um, more on in this passage, and just we saw this right here in verses 7, it talks about how Jesus says, you know, all those who've come before me have been, are, are thieves and robbers. All those who've come before me were thieves and robbers. And when you think about what is a thief and what is a robber, a thief is something or someone, right, that walks in deception, right, that deceives people and uses trickery. And a robber is someone that, that takes and steals life, right? Um, and so both a thief and a robber take the life of a sheep, right? And they do it through deceptive and evil ways. And Jesus is saying, hey, you know, all those before me are sheeps and robbers, and I want us to ask ourselves, okay, do I see Jesus Christ as the sole gate to my salvation and my security? Do I, do I see him as the sole gate to my salvation or, or in my security and my hope that, hey, if I was to pass away tonight and I stand before the Lord and he asks, hey, why are you going to go into heaven? Not that this is how this is going to play out, but to think about it this way helps. If I say, well... Um, you know, because I pray a lot or because I know something about you or because this person told me about you or because I went to church or because these these kinds of things, they're almost like thieves and robbers. That's what a lot of times we base our salvation and our hope on and our security in. When we stand before Jesus, we base it on our works, right? Or we base it on past relationships or our boyfriend or our girlfriend, right? These are the things a lot of times, or our studies. This is what is going to make me right before God. Um, kind of like Adam was saying, like, uh, 
there was some things he felt like he just had to keep getting before God and, and making things right and, and couldn't break that cycle of shame, right? And couldn't, didn't feel like he was, he, he was forgiven, essentially. He was forgiven. And he was placing his hope in uh, praying over and over and over, and maybe this will help me, right? Instead of just resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ and the cross, right? And Jesus as being the soul, soul gate. And so I, I want us to think tonight, what are those thieves and robbers in our lives that we're clinging to for salvation? What are those thieves and robbers that we're clinging to for our salvation? Um, are we as sheep trusting that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is our sole hope and, and security? In, in Ephesians, it says that, you know, it is by grace that we've been saved through faith and this is not of ourselves as the gift of God. It's not because of works, so that no man can boast, right? Ephesians talks about how we're saved through faith. And a lot of times we'll have students ask us, what does it mean to be saved through faith? What does it mean to really, you know, be a sheep and that's protected by this gate, Jesus Christ, and to have that security that I am, if I die tonight, I am going to go to heaven, because I'm putting my hope in my, I'm resting myself on the finished work of Jesus Christ, that he bled and died for me. And I'm trusting in what he did, that that satisfied the wrath of God, and that I can be a partaker of his righteousness, right? What does that mean? And, you know, I like to think about the aviation analogy, because it helps me think about the difference between knowledge and how that's the beginning seed of faith. But faith in its fullest, in its fullest sense, you guys listening? Stay with me. Stay with me here. Faith in its fullest sense. If you get one thing from this sermon tonight, catch this point. Faith in its fullest sense, right, is trusting in Christ. It's leaning upon God and his finished work. It's not something you do as much as it's someone you're leaning on, right? And so just knowing about Jesus isn't enough to get you saved. I don't know if you guys know that, but there it is. Just knowing about him is, is, is not enough. Uh, is not, it's just the beginning of faith, but faith in its fullest sense is trust. And so let's think about it this way. If I show up to an airport, if I show up to an airport, I know a little bit about aerodynamics. I know a little bit about flight. I know where to find my airplane, right? I know where to get logged in. I know how to get into the line or whatnot. Um, I know a little bit maybe about the pilot, and I actually know where I want to go. I want to get to, let's say, Oklahoma, where Josh was just at, right? I want to get to Oklahoma. So I know all that, but in the end of the day, I still have to what? Anybody? I still have to get on the, still got to get on the plane. So it's not enough to get me to Oklahoma to just know where I want to go and to know something about my pilot, right? And just to know where I put my luggage and whatnot. I actually have to board the plane. And I don't know if you guys know this. Josh just did this. He put his life, banked his life on that pilot that got him to Oklahoma. I can't stand flying for that reason. <laughs> um, but that's what you're doing, right? And so when I get on a plane, I'm banking my life on the fact, I'm trusting my life that this pilot is going to get me from A to Z. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know how the flight, how the jets work or whatnot, but I know that I'm going to get from A to Z, right? So saving faith is that, is that, is that when I come to Jesus, I trust he is the gate. I don't, I, I, it's not my works. It's, it's not, it's not this relationship that's going to save me. All I know is that if I put my hope in him and his righteousness on the cross, right? And that what he did was enough to satisfy the wrath of God for me. And he, he bore my shame. He took my sins, right? He took my sins and bore my shame. And he became a curse so that I could take on his righteousness. If I, if I trust in him in that, that he died and he resurrected and he lives today, that I know that that is enough to make me righteous before God because I'm taking on his righteousness and becoming a child of God. When I place my faith in him, that's what happens. Um, I think that that's awesome. And so tonight, I just wonder, you know, again, um, what, are the, what are we trusting in? What are we trusting in for salvation and security? Because Jesus Christ is so good. He's such a good shepherd, first and foremost, because of the finished work of the cross, because he is our way um, to security and safety. I, I, the other day, I was... Um, fishing with the kids. So we have a creek that runs around the back of our house and it ends in, in like a kind of like a pond. 
and myself and my four kids, we were out there. I was sitting there, and Micah was fishing. And all the fish are biting on this. Um, you know, it's just a perfect fishing day for him. They're all biting. It's amazing. And we start to walk back, and Micah, Ethan, Micah, Ethan, Anna, and Ava, they all come up to this gate that clearly you're not supposed to walk through or climb through. It had barbed wire on it. And I said, guys, this is not the way through back home. And of course, my oldest son, because he knows everything, um, says, no, mom, I'm going through here um, because I don't want to walk around the other way. And I said, listen, all kids who follow me will have a much more pleasant experience of getting home. And all kids who follow Micah are going to get torn to pieces. I would like to say that all the kids followed me, but only one, sweet Ethan, decided, I'm going with mom. The other two girls decided to follow big brother, and they climbed over this, you know, kind of barbed wire fence, and then Ava got her foot stuck, and then her leg is bleeding, and then Micah got pricked by some barbed wire on the side, And then not only that, when they started walking home, they realized that there was dogs on the other side of that fence, too. So they're screaming. I can hear them yelling while I'm enjoying this amazing walk with Ethan. (laughs) Ethan and I are having this amazing time. Oh, buddy, look at the wind. Look at the trees. You know, this is a special time with you and me. Like, this is amazing. You know, what do you see over there? Oh, that looks like a place we, you know, somebody could hide in. You know, we're having this amazing time of intimate connection. Meanwhile, the other three are being chased by dogs and have blood going on. So, again, Micah, Micah, Anna, and Ava thought that that gate would be their salvation, that they could go through that and it would all turn out well. Um, instead of listening to their dear mother who knows what's best and where true security and safety lies. And so tonight, um, let us be a people, right, who, who say yes to the gate, Jesus Christ. Say yes to him, and we're willing to be recumbent and rest our life on that, to fully lean into that, to kind of do the, the holy trust fall. You guys know what that thing is where you just stand like this and you're like recumbent, you know? So let us be those people who totally trust that my safety and my security is in Jesus Christ, and he is so good because of that. And then tonight, second thing I want to talk about is that Jesus is good because he alone can truly satisfy. Jesus is so good because he alone can truly satisfy. Let's pick back up in our passage, and let's read it again, just verses 7 through 10, just to see where am I getting this from. So not only is the good because he's the gate and he, his priority are the sheep and their salvation security. He's good because he satisfies us. Um, Again, it says, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who've come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I'm just going to read to you guys what I wrote here. I wrote, the Greek word here for life is zoe, not bios. So the word used here really accents the quality of life, not just being alive and breathing. Then Christ goes on to say that the life his sheep or disciples enjoy is life to the full, life abundant. The Greek word used for the abundant is Parisos, which again suggests a surplus or an overflowing, a qualitative difference to life. So this life that Jesus promises we will find if we go through his gate and graze at his pasture is so good and makes him such a good shepherd. His sheep are contented. They're fat. They're fluffy. They're full. Essentially, what Christ is suggesting about the life that he offers, as one author, D.A. Carson, states is a life at its scarcely imagined best. A life at its scarcely imagined best. Life to be lived. Carson says, his sheep are contented, flourishing sheep, not terrorized by by brigands outside the narrative world. It means that the life Jesus' true disciples enjoy is not to be construed as more time to fill, merely everlasting life. But again, it is a life at its scarcely imagined best. 
Another quote that I love um, that talks about this abundant life, this life to the full, that Jesus says here in John chapter 10, 10, that his sheep enjoy, um, is from Bible.org, and it says, and I have that here for you guys, it says, he gives them more than mere substance. He gives them life in its fullest sense. Of course, the analogy is that since we are spiritual sheep, the good life refers to a spiritual joy and fullness. But even so, since we are spiritual, physical creatures, what God has created with specific desires and needs on both planes, he is able and willing to satisfy us on both planes. The one is is connected to the other. So this abundant life that we, we pick up from in this John 10, 10 passage that Jesus promises, it's abundance doesn't necessarily mean easy, right? It doesn't mean like, hey, Jesus promises we're going to have an easy life, right? It doesn't always promise or mean comfortable, right? And it doesn't mean that we might have to suffer a little bit, right? But what it does mean is that he will be with us and that his sheep have a qualitative difference in their life. So if you're asking tonight, if you're like, huh, I want to know if I'm saved here tonight. Do I really trust that Jesus is the gate? He's the only way to the Father, that he's the only way I can be declared righteous, right? Um, That's that's a good question for you tonight. And then secondly, um, asking yourself this question, you know, am I experiencing the life? If I put my trust and my hope in Jesus Christ as my gate, I, I believe in it. I'm sold out to this. I'm a sheep grazing in the pasture. Am I experiencing the life he promises his sheep will have? He says, you know, the pasture that his sheep graze at um, is awesome. The food that he's feeding his sheep is really good. And, you know, when we get saved, when we give our life to Christ, the Bible says in Galatians that we receive a deposit, that we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, right? And he comes and he dwells in our hearts, right? Upon, instantaneously upon salvation, we receive the Spirit of God. And what the Holy Spirit does is he helps us live this abundant life that Jesus is talking about. So for those of us who are in here tonight, you're like, Michelle, I'm so depressed. I was just suicidal, suicidal yesterday, or I'm struggling with an addiction. I'm struggling with pornography, or I'm struggling with this or that, right? You're asking yourself, am I living the abundant life, right? Or I'm, I, I'm lonely. I'm anxious. I'm, I'm this or that, right? We want to we wanna say, Jesus, um, I, want to re, I want to come to understand this Holy Spirit that you have given me as a person, and I want to receive all the benefits that the Holy Spirit is, is called to give us. It says, the Bible says in John chapters kind of 15 through 17, he talks about the Holy Spirit. And he says that one of the roles that the Holy Spirit has is he's the comforter. So if you're depressed, he comforts. He's the counselor. If you don't know where you're going, what major to take up right now, you're a freshman, you're 18 years old. You're like, I don't even know, um, you know, what major. Oh, SMAD, that sounds good. I want to do that, right? Um, the Holy Spirit promises to counsel us he teaches us. He guides us into truth. Um, he advocates for us. He is the one, the, the Spirit of God is the one who helps us kind of graze at this pasture. Says, oh no, eat over there. This one, that, that patch is better, right? The Holy Spirit guides us and comforts us in this journey. So there's maybe some people here tonight who, you know what, I, I trust in Jesus as the gate, but I'm really struggling in my relationship with the Holy Spirit. I don't feel like God is with me. I feel like I'm alone. And I want to really learn how to hear his voice more. And I really want to learn how to live this abundant life and, and how to break through from this depression, break through from this pornography addiction, or break through from this other temptation or this lie or this loneliness that I feel or whatnot, right? And, and tonight, God is here to help us with that. God um, knows the desire of your heart. And what's so amazing about, I I like to think about salvation like this too and and what it's like to be a sheep. So what it's like to be a sheep is different than what it's like to be a pig, right, guys? So um, before, again, how do I know the Holy Spirit is living in me? How do I know I'm saved? Well, um, it's kind of like the difference between sheeps and pigs, right? Um, When you think about a pig, right, they love to be dirty. They love wallowing in dirt. They love returning to their dirt and to their mess. They're more comfortable in the dirt, um, and when you think about a sheep, sheep actually don't like mess. They don't actually like to get muddy and dirty. And so sheep will occasionally, right, get dirty 
I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with sheep, but we have, we have them around us where we live. Um, sheep will occasionally get dirty, but they don't like it, right? They don't like it. So tonight, if you're in here, you're like, you know what? I'm struggling with sin, but I don't like it. That's good. But if you're struggling with, with sin and you're like, I love this. I do not want to change. I'm all about this baby. Then we got to ask ourselves back to step one. Are we trusting in Jesus as the gate here to, to our salvation, right? And so tonight, though, you know, God sees you guys as sheep. He knows that we struggle sometime, but he promises the Holy Spirit will help us and he will satisfy us and he will restore us and he will fill us. And so I, I want us to ask God, you know, help me to understand the Holy Spirit, the person and work of the Holy Spirit in my life and help me to hear his voice and, and help me to kind of break through in these areas where I'm struggling. In, in John, in earlier in the Gospel of John, you guys may have heard a sermon on this, Jesus turns the water into wine, right? This is such a great picture of what he does for those who are in him, right? Water, when we think about it, again, God's people, the pasture that God's people graze in is like the difference between water to wine. Water's odorless, tasteless. Um, it's great, but it's a little bland or whatnot where you think about wine, right? It has depth, richness, embodiment, right? Flavor, fragrance. This is what God does for us. That is, what, that is the qualitative difference of the life of a believer, right? He turns our water, our, the, the water, watery parts of us and, and makes us wine in him. And that's what Jesus has come to do, not only to save the lost, right? But he, he's came, he came to give the lost a fuller, more abundant life. Isn't that awesome? You guys still with me? Isn't that make Jesus amazing? He doesn't just come to save us from hell and death and eternal separation. He says, actually, I, I actually want you to have an amazing life. I actually want to give you a life to the fullest. Um, one author says, hey, people who have a lot of life have stamina, increased energy, a large sphere, sphere of, living, the, of living, the ability to do things, they have an overflow of enjoyment, and they have what it takes to win. They have what it takes to win. And so asking ourselves, man, do I have the abundant life? Do I have the spirit in me? Um, and I just want to ask, and have I just received that God has changed me and, and continues to change the watery parts of my life into wine? And lastly, guys, tonight I want to just uh, touch on this briefly, this third, third point that we can pull out also from this passage about Jesus being so good. So he's good because he's the gate. He's good because he gives us the abundant life and he, only he can satisfy us, right? And, and he loves to satisfy his sheep. But he's also good because he knows us. He knows us. This is my third kind of point or takeaway. He knows us and he laid down his life for us willingly. Let's just kind of jump back into our passage. In verses 14 and 15, it says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I don't, I, I think it's crazy to think, like if, if I ever ask the question, man, would somebody ever die for me? I don't even need to ask that question. Somebody already did. Jesus already died for me. He already laid down his life so that I can have that abundant life and so that I can have that security. Like Jesus already did it. He already died for you. If we ever ask, man, does anybody love me? Does anybody care about me? Does anybody know, know me here? I feel so lost at this school. Um, I just feel unloved and unvalued. Well, if you ever think that, just open up your history textbook here at JMU, and they'll talk about a man named Jesus Christ. They might not be trying to get you saved, but they're going to tell you about the historical life of Jesus Christ, right? There was a man who did die for you. He saw your value on the cross, and it says that love kept him there. He stayed on the cross. He stayed on there when he could have gotten down. He stayed on that cross, and I want, I, want, I want you guys to know, like, you know, he did that thinking of you, thinking of you, and he died for you, and I think that's just powerful in itself that um, our shepherd, let's think about this here. In reality, how many shepherds do you think would actually willingly be like, I love my sheep, you know, let me die? for them, right? What, when, we, when we see that picture in the Eastern culture, people would be like, that's nuts. Because in, the, in that culture, sheep didn't have the greatest reputation. 
right? They may have been known and loved and cared for by their shepherd, but it's kind of crazy to think that a shepherd who's high and awesome and mighty and strong and worthy and powerful would die for a sheep. That's crazy, but that's exactly who our shepherd is. That's exactly who he is. He actually died for us, and he's high and powerful and mighty, and he's awesome, and he's the best. He's so, so, so good, and he died for us. And I think some of us just need to hear that, like, man, a man already died for you. A man already died for us because that's how much he loves us. It's another thing to also realize, too, that shepherds knew their sheep so well they, could, they even called them by name. They had names for their sheep in Eastern culture. They could tell their sheep apart just by like a little spot on their head um, or a little crinkle in their fluff. You know, shepherds were amazing with their sheep. They knew every color on them. And it's amazing to think like how unique each sheep was and is to a shepherd and how much the shepherd kind of just loves them and knows them. And We get more pictures of this in the Bible. Jesus knows his people. The Bible says that he catches our tears in a bottle. He writes our name on the palm of his hands. He counts our hair. He numbers our hair. This is how good our Savior is. He doesn't only promise us abundant life. He actually promises that he knows us. He knows us more than anyone ever could. And he cares for us and he values us. And that's pretty crazy considering he is the Son of God, that He is God. Um, I love, um, if we look at this Ezekiel passage here, again, this is who Jesus is as our good shepherd. It kind of encapsulates it here. Um, I just want to read it to you guys. It's up on the screen as well. It says, for this is what the sovereign Lord said, says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend to them in good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel." I myself will tend to my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring them, bring back the strays. Guys, we're living in a time where we really need somebody who knows us. We really need somebody. I love that Katie read Psalm 23. We we really need someone who restores our soul, who causes us to lay down, who causes us to experience what true rest is who actually gives us true peace and gives us rest for our souls. Guys, we're in a generation where there's not a lot of rest. There's a lot of anxiety, um, and there's a lot of loneliness, even though we have so much social media and whatnot. And just to know that, hey, in the midst of all this, um, what the message that the enemy wants to send to you guys, your generation, you know, is that, hey, you're not known. You'll never be known. You'll never be good enough. You know, you can do all you want, but nobody really knows you. Nobody really loves you, right? That's the message he's sending to, to your generation. And I love the gospel because it stands and looks at that in the face and says, that's a lie. That's a thief and a robber. That's not the truth. We need to lay that down. I love this quote uh, by Tim Keller. He's a, an amazing pastor and author, and I think it says so well what we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who we have as a good shepherd, and what, and I love what he writes about being loved and known. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial, but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, it's a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. If I could have the worship band come up. It's 9.33. I just wanted to close on that. I've asked the band to um, play Good, Good Father just as a response to this sermon on on, uh, God's goodness. Get this out here.
while they strum lightly. Yeah, I just, tonight, as we're here, kind of going off of what Katie shared last night and our call to liberation and our call to liberate others, right? We can't really do that super well if we don't have these kind of gospel basics in us, right? That Jesus is the gate. He is my safety and my security, right? Um, And that he has called me to the abundant life. He's given me the Holy Spirit who helps me live that abundant life, right? And in my struggle with sin, the Holy Spirit will help me in my struggle with sin. He will help me. He'll come to me. He'll guide me. He'll comfort me. He'll teach me. He'll convict me of sin, right? And then lastly, that it's all worth it. It's so worth laying down everything that Christ has called us to lay down. And right now, so many of you are freshmen, and you're like me coming in at 18 years old, and you're like, man, when Michelle talked about that unforgiveness, that's totally me. I don't know how to let go of this unforgiveness that I have towards my family, my father, my mother, or some of you have been abused, or there's been other things in your past that you're really struggling to lay down. And then there's other of us, others of us that are really struggling to pick some things up tonight. And as sheep, that's what we're called to do lay down and pick up. Obey, right? And tonight, God, that's what God's saying. It's like, lay down, guys. Lay down. Lay down uh, your sin. Lay down your shame from the past. Lay down your unforgiveness. Lay down the things that have gone wrong in your life and you're, you're upset about why they have and it's blocking you in your relationship with God, right? If you'd be willing to lay that down, I promise that I will give you that abundant life and that you will be free and liberated. And again, and that you'll be able to be that person that God is calling you to be in that story of Lazarus, to unravel the grave clothes of others, right? And to walk in that, right? And um, again, just it's amazing to know that God knows us so well. And I know some of us need to hear that tonight. I was amazed at how, I always say this to Anthony, right, honey? I always say, I know God is real, And it's never that I know God is real, you know, because this person was healed and that person, that person, this person experienced this supernatural encounter, although those things are awesome, right? It's actually the fact of his knowing me so intricately and deeply, knowing things about me that no one else could know. And his, and it's the small things that have convinced me of his reality. Uh, When we moved to Blacksburg, and we bought a house. Um, my, it was wintertime, so we didn't even know what was kind of under the ground, you know, when we bought our house. And lo and behold, when the spring came, there is a whole raspberry garden in my house, in the backyard, and then a blackberry garden. And then in the backyard, there's horses, you know, by a fence. And I've always wished I could have a horse to look at, not to take care of, but just to look at, right, and pet. And raspberries are my favorite fruit. It's the fact that when I got to this house, I didn't even know those things were there. When those raspberries came up, and when that horse was in the backyard, I was having a moment with God. Oh my gosh, you know me. You are so real. And yes, I've seen God heal people, and that makes him awesome and real too. I've seen his miraculous and the supernatural things he does too, but it's the fact that he knows me that's just so touching Um, to me and convinces me that he is the good shepherd and he's worth giving it all, giving it all for. So I want to say a prayer for us, but um, before I do, I want us all just to kind of close our eyes, close our eyes. Don't fall asleep. Close your eyes though, and just bow your heads and just want to give anybody a chance to respond to that first point. Um, You're in here tonight. And when, when I was talking about the gate, and Jesus Christ being the sole entrance into the gate and the sole source of our salvation and our security. Um, If there's anybody here tonight that thinks, you know what, Michelle, I've actually not trusted in Jesus for my security and my salvation uh, in heaven. I've thought that I could work and be good enough um, or do this enough, and I would be I would be able to be with him eternally. I thought that this relationship would make me right or doing this kind thing. Um, But I've never just trusted in Jesus's death and life and resurrection as my sole 
um, my sole source of salvation and righteous and, and right, the righteousness of God in my life. And um, if that's you here tonight, and tonight you want to make that decision in your heart that you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior for the first time, um, without pretension, without works, without all the other side stuff, but just based off on his finished work of the cross for what he's done for you, if that's you tonight, this is the first time that it's really tugging on your heart. I just, if you could just kind of slip your hand up just so I can see. Um, if you want to make that decision, awesome. Is there anybody else here tonight that just says, I'm ready. I'm ready to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of my life. I want to trust that he is the gate and he alone can save. Is there anybody here, anybody else here tonight that, you know, you feel like now is the time and, and now is the time I really want to make that decision to get on the airplane, to get on it. Yeah, there's another, there's another. Hallelujah, is there anybody else here tonight that wants to make that decision? You know what? I'm sick and tired of being in the line of this airport and, and not getting from A to Z and I'm ready to hop on the plane now and to trust Jesus Christ with my whole life. Is there anybody else here tonight that really, you know, truly for the first time in your life want to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life? and be recumbent upon his mercy and grace by faith. Just want to give anybody else an opportunity who feels led to respond. Your heart is pumping. You're, you're, this is making sense to you for the first time in your life. You've heard it a lot of times before, but this is really starting to make sense to you. just want to encourage those of you who raised your hands to make sure that tonight you let Josh and Katie know and you find them and uh, ask to grab a coffee with them so you can talk to them and let them talk to you more about what that means. What does it mean um, to, to be saved by faith alone and to have the imputed righteousness of Christ in your life? So I want you guys to so really is the reality of what you just did, raising your hand. I want you guys to, to take that step of faith and tell Josh and Katie and talk to them about that. Um, and don't let that slip away because this is real right here, right now. This is exactly what God did for me when I was your age. Is It started getting really real when I was 18. And then secondly, I think, you know, there's people in here tonight that say, Michelle, I'm not living the abundant life. I feel like a pig. I know I'm a sheep, but I'm like struggling with sin. And I think I like it, but I don't know. Um, but then there's times I hate this sin. And I really just, I really want to know more of who the Holy Spirit is and how he's going to help me with my struggle against sin and how he's going to teach me to hear the voice of God. Um, and I just want to break free from this depression and this anxiety and these suicidal thoughts and this loneliness I feel. Um, if that's you tonight, I just, I'd love for you to take the bold step just to kind of go into the back so that we could um, spend, Josh and Katie and Anthony, a few of us could just spend a, a little bit of time praying for you. And I want you to be bold and just to take that step and like not be embarrassed because we're family in here, right? That's what all Chi Alphas are, is we're family. And um, we're not afraid to admit like, hey, I want someone to pray for me to receive the abundant life. I mean, if everybody in here thinks they are living the abundant life and experiencing, um, you know, that life to the full um, that Christ has, has promised that his sheep will experience and you're grazing in the pasture and it's great, that's awesome. But I know that there's people in here that just need a fresh touch tonight um, and to be be prayed for. Um, and if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to kind of go to the back while everybody's eyes are closed and heads are down. If that's you and you want to get a little bit of fresh prayer tonight, I just want you to head on to the back and just not be embarrassed again to respond to that and just be brave and uh, let people um, pray over you and, and just release blessing.
just wait a minute. I know there's a few people in here who who that, that part of the sermon really touched, that they want to experience more of that abundant life. And just want to receive a fresh touch tonight. Lastly, if there's people in here, just say, hey, like, I'm really touched by the fact God knows me. And I, I want to, in response to the fact that he knows me, I want to make him known. And I want to be just undone by his goodness and, and just walk a life worthy of the calling um, and give back to him in a powerful way because of what he's done for me in the cross and, and how he knows me and cares for me. I want to just tell of his goodness more and more. And if that's you tonight, and again, you want people to pray with you about the mission and the commission that's on your heart to reach your friends and to reach those around you, I just want to also encourage you to step in the back um, to get some fresh, get some prayer tonight. There's a few of you. Yeah, that's awesome. Anybody else wants to go and just get some fresh prayer tonight? And while the band is playing Good, Good Father, um, let's just continue to respond. Again, I just want to encourage you guys to go back and get a, some prayer, and then I'll close in prayer in just a few minutes.